Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, this is Toby Mathis. Welcome to Tax Tuesday. I'm joined today by Michael Bowman. Woo! Great to be here. Hey, welcome. Yeah, so we uh, we're off location. We're sitting on an island called Maui. In uh, not tax island, not a tax island. <laughs> we're not in any of those places. Nevis. Yeah, <laughs> we should have, <laughs> but we're not. No, no, we're in beautiful uh, Hawaii on the island of Maui. It's beautiful. And we're really lucky. And we wanted to do a tax Tuesday anyway. It's the middle of tax season. So our tax department is busy, 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 but we still had a few folks. Let's see, who do we have on? I see Dana Pio is probably on. Elliot's probably on. We have a bunch of folks helping you out. Great support. Great support. Excellent high-end individuals. Yeah. So they'll make sure that they get your, your questions answered. I can't see chat this time, just the way the nature of the beast uh, oh, look at that. I, I won't be able to see that. So you'll have to be in charge of chat today. Well, we got someone from San Diego, which is similar to a nice place. That's great. Yeah, where are you guys at? We could just say that. Hey, where are you guys at? Let us know where you're at. We can compare. I always love to hear, uh, figure out where people are from. Either I've lived there or uh, there's some nuances to the law that we can uh, discuss too. Read some out. I can't All right, read Texas. That. We got uh, Rockport, Texas. We've got Houston. Denver, Ann Arbor, Fort Collins, Carmel, a oh, beautiful place, Carmel, California, Tampa, a couple of people from Tampa, Tyler, Texas. Uh, you and I went out there and uh, shot uh, guns out in the middle of a- uh, Blew some uh, stuff up in Tyler, yeah, Texas. Yeah, that was fun. Great, great clients out there. Legally. Yeah. yeah. Stuff up. Uh, Charlotte, Boston, San Antonio, Roseman, California. Hey, it's uh, Sherry Brody. Hey, how are you doing, Sherry? Great to, great to see you. Great to hear from you. Sherry and Don. This is like uh, a family reunion, recognizing a lot of clients out there. Clients have been with us for, I mean, I like to say sometimes years, but it's actually been decades now. Is that cool? That is cool. And uh, yeah, now, yeah, you get to say hi to them. It's been probably a year since you came on. Uh, about a year. And then maybe we two actually, years. We, we actually could longer. Uh, the last time we were in Maui, you and I did tax Tuesday. Was that the last time you did tax Tuesday? No, I did one. I think I hosted one by myself with uh, maybe Jeff. Uh, in between then, I always love coming out here. Yeah. Well, we'll just kick Jeff off. Jeff does not. No, 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 that's all right. I mean, uh, Jeff, Jeff, our, our, our tax we'll just director. Kick, we'll just bring Michael on. Yeah. No, I'm just I can join you, you, you too, but I think Jeff, what a whiz in tax. The guy, uh, amazing the way he understands the tax code and also be able to regurgitate it and teach people how to actually use it appropriately. Jeff is fantastic. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's dive in. We got a lot to cover in a short period of time. We don't want to keep you guys here all day. So uh, Tax Tuesday rules, real simple. You can ask questions via the live Q&A. There's a Q&A feature in Zoom, and uh, all you got to do is use that to ask longer questions. If you have comments to what we're going over, and every now and again, I'll have a conversation with one of you, or Michael will have a conversation with somebody where we're asking specific questions back to you, use chat for that. But if you have a question, we have a team on right now that can answer your questions for you via the Q&A. Don't use chat for that. If we ask a, like a poll question, then we'd ask that you use chat. But otherwise, if you have a serious question that pertains to your situation, it'll fly by us if you use chat. So use the Q&A. If you have questions during the two weeks in between each session, 
You can ask questions via Tax Tuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. And that's where we pick the questions that we use uh, for every Tax Tuesday. Usually there's 10 to 15 questions that we grab, not in any particular order either. I just go in there and see what is uh, what has been flagged as something that would be appropriate for the larger group. So usually it's a generic question. It's not identifiable information where we can grab it and teach a lesson out of it. And we just grab those and go through them. They're also real relevant to what's going on today and you know, kind of the tax talk and kind of tax rumors out there. I've noticed that with the ones you pull. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of activity right now, by the way. It's usually political and it doesn't matter which t- which which team is in power at that particular time, uh, whether you're team Democrat or team Republican or any other team for that matter. There's always something they're trying to do with the tax code, unfortunately, because it makes it very, very complicated. So there's over 20,000 pages of code, over a million pages of interpretation, and nobody really knows the code. So let's make it more complex. That seems to be smart. But. So William just said, hey, are you guys live for Maui? Actually live, live? And uh, he says he doesn't care if it's pre-recorded. Uh, just don't play him. So, But anyway, yep, William, we are live from Maui. Hi, William. Where's William from? Uh, William, I don't know where he's from. William, where are you from? So we can make fun of you. No, he's probably over here. He just said this is a pre-recorded promotion. <laughs> yes. It's a, yeah, Not playing you, William. Not playing. Hey, if you need something very, very specific to you and you need advice that's beyond just generic uh, counsel, you need to be a Platinum member. It's really inexpensive. It's $35 a month. But uh, there we give written answers to tax questions you'll realize that we don't like doing just having a meeting on tax. Tax is very specific and you usually you're, you're attaching a code section or a form to something. And I like it to be in writing just so there's no misunderstanding. And also because people have the same question year after year, what you find is that in the platinum portal every year, you kind of go back and say, what did they say last year and take a look at it. So for example, everything from quarterly taxes to one of your taxes due, when are taxes due, all that stuff comes up. Hint, your tax return is actually due in October 15th because you get an automatic extension, but your taxes are due on April 15th. And technically, you're supposed to pay taxes all year as you go, which is the quarterly system. And there's all little nuances on each one. I kind of like, remember the Price is Right, the Planko game where the ball mm-hmm. comes here? Well, one little variable shoves it over here. You start going all, or, you know, it can go over here depending on the Bounce it around. Bounces around down and finally get the answer uh, using the tax code and the the summation of everything. Nobody really knows. <laughs> Speak, speaking of nobody really knows, we have a bunch of questions to go through. Let's see if we can figure out the answers. Yeah. So uh, for partnership LLC, can capital gains, i.e. or e.g. stock sale from brokerage account owned by the business be combined to offset real estate losses, depreciation in the LLC? Good question. We'll answer that. When I sell a property for 1031 exchange, can I sell 100% ownership of the owning LLC instead of the actual real estate to avoid the transfer taxes, title fees, et cetera. Assume the LLC is single owner. LLC only owns the subject property, nothing else. If I invest in a working interest in oil well and I take 100% deduction on my investment in the year I invest, does that amount reduce my AGI and my tax return for the year? Or is the deduction and investment subtracted after AGI is calculated? Good questions. That's a little technical, but interesting. If I buy an existing home inside an opportunity zone, will I be able to save tax on the capital gain if keeping the property for 10 years? Very interesting. Yeah, really good question. Yeah, very and, and, and somewhat technical too. And again, we're going to be playing this Planko game if this and that. Planko. How will electing real estate professional status impact my rentals when I will sell them? Will they be considered as capital gains 
or will I be taxed as ordinary since I have elected to be a real estate professional? When I QDC, quick claim deed, a property from my personal name to an LLC, which is solely owned by my wife, when I was told there is a possibility I would lose the title insurance, is there a workaround to retain the title insurance? It's very interesting. It's more of a practical level dealing with title companies, what they're going to do. And so the great question. And there are issues that you have to be aware of. So we'll get into that. Gifting versus business pay. We have a rental property, not much to manage. The rental check goes in, the mortgage payment goes out. What would be a fair amount to pay our child so she can pay for college out of a paycheck from the rental account? Or should we just gift her up to the $30,000 from mom and dad each year? Good question. That's going to be, a, are, we, are you doing parental advice and uh, guiding with parents or uh, a tax, you know, tax advice? We're going to play it probably into a little bit of bulk. Yeah, that one's, but we get that all the time. Yeah. We're trying to make their kids get education. Sure. How can I reduce my taxes if I have an Airbnb, but I do not own it? I lease my Airbnb from another owner and I realize that I can't take any of their normal depreciation since I don't own it. Good questions. Yeah. I've been filing my taxes on Schedule C, sole proprietor, and all my business income is loan interest from private lending. My first year, 2020, was a net loss. This year, 2021, and hopefully all future years, will have significant profit. If I continue to report the interest income as gross receipts or other income on Schedule C, I'm assuming I'll have to pay self-employment taxes on the profit. I'm thinking maybe I should report the interest income on Schedule B Hmm. and my expenses on Schedule C. What are your thoughts? Should I be paying SC tax on interest income? I sincerely appreciate your advice and help. Thank you. Which is always nice when somebody actually says thank you. By the way, we don't, it's like we get a lot of questions. If clients did large conversions of traditional IRA to a Roth IRA in their 60s, leading up to their retirement, Will that affect their health, their Medicare premiums? Is it considered to be part of their pre-retirement income level? All these little nuances, huh? Very much so. Uh, Is there any strategies or are there any strategies to mitigate capital gains tax on the sale of a vacation home? Our vacation home is in another state and it's solely for personal use and never rented out. We've owned it for 10 years. Do we have to make it our primary residence for two years before we can sell it and get the capital gains exemption? Great, great question. And a lot of nuances in there too. Uh, I am planning to do a cost segregation study. If I do some cosmetic light remodeling before cost seg, will it generate a bigger benefit or doesn't matter? Please advise. So lots of good questions today. And a lot of good variables and things that we'll be able to talk about and kind of expand it out. Yeah. Now here's a little fun one. If during the week you want to get questions to, or get answers to questions, get questions to answer, get, yeah. Um, get answers to questions. We have about, I think it's 1,200 at this point, 1,200 different videos on different topics on our YouTube channel. So I invite you to go to uh, our YouTube channel. Plus, there are recordings of Tax Tuesdays, and we usually put which questions we're answering there. But by all means, feel free to go to aba.link and go to YouTube and subscribe and click the bell. There's a little bell up there. Let me see if I can actually circle the bell. That thing. And what that'll do is whenever we put something up, you'll be able to go get it. I find it interesting. And sometimes I don't go over all the different videos that are up there right now, but we had a really good one on uh, using private money to uh, out of capital assets. And the reason this is really important is because selling an asset usually creates a taxable gain as opposed to borrowing against an asset. You get to keep the asset and you don't actually have the capital gain. And we're going to see a lot of that with this appreciation that's gone on, and especially with inflation. And people are making that mistake where if they need capital, 
they're selling things mm-hmm. and you don't have to do it. And so Jill did, did a really great job. You know, Jill and Dave on Honolulu. You know, the other thing is with these videos, uh, I just had a client comment that uh, they felt like they opened Pandora's box. Once they saw one video, then they're like, they saw the next one lined up and then said, yeah. oh, I want to know about this too. Know about this. Yeah. I think this individual said they were up till about 1130 at night going through all the videos and information. So that's been great. Uh, love that uh, as a firm, we put out education and uh, I always say an educated client's a better client to work yeah. with. So a lot fantastic. of fun stuff in there. So feel free to subscribe. And stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else too. You could try. Yeah. You go to read all the journals. All right. Let's have fun one. For a partnership LLC, Michael, mm-hmm. can capital gains, like from the stock sale, from a brokerage account owned by the business, be combined offset with real estate losses, depreciation, and LLC? You want to first look at this. I kind of look at it from in the rules that are surrounding all types of incomes, how to write things off, you know, passive, you know, pa- you know passive gain, passive loss, uh, um, active, active, uh, long term. Versus short term, mm-hmm. long term, you got to take against the long term. And then what happens if you have leftover losses? You can't use them all in that current year because there's some rule. You know, do you carry them forward? Is there any strategies in there? But uh, yeah, I think that uh, first of all, we have to look at, and then also, you know, what is their tax situation like? When is it good for uh, tax harvesting? I, I, or well, so, so let's break this down. So I have a partnership LLC and it's trading. You know, trading can fall in different categories, by the way. So you could have capital gains. And if you have capital losses, is there any way to use those against real estate and rental real estate, which again, it depends on the type of real estate you're doing. If it's rental, then that's passive. Can capital gains offset passive income, number one, or or vice versa? Can passive losses offset capital gains? Well, and then you got to look at the rules with later on, you're going to be looking at active participant, real estate professional. You don't have to get that far. Capital gains can offset, capital gains are offset by capital losses or by ordinary losses. And so if it's rental losses, then we can't use it. If there's capital gains on the real estate, then capital gains can be offset by capital losses. So again, we get into this weird little dichotomy where when somebody says, can capital gains from the stock sale be offset by real estate losses? The answer is, Generally speaking, if it's rental real estate, the answer is no, unless you're a real estate professional or you're an active participant in real estate and you make less than 150000 And let's be real, it's, there's a phase out between 100 and 150000 so, so if you have real estate losses from that type of real estate activity, from rental real estate activity, then there's an opportunity to use the losses. But here's the reality of it is most real estate investors who are generating big losses are going to have more more income. So you're either going to be a real estate professional or you're not doing rental real estate activities, which means you're doing construction, you're doing rehabs, you're doing property management, you're doing something else that's not rental real estate, at which time now you don't, you're not passive activity anymore. So for example, seven days or less, I'm doing Airbnb. It's not rental income. That's considered ordinary income, ordinary loss. And then the only question is, like Michael said, he actually, you were right, spot on. Is it, I'm I'm entirely participating. So is it a passive loss or is it a non-passive loss that I can use against my other income? And then here's the other fun one. Do I want to use real estate losses against capital gains? If it's long-term capital gains, it might be taxed at zero or 15%. Why the heck would I even do it? 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see all the little balls you dug around and then you check them around and then you get the end result. And then, uh, uh, you know, what includes or what's included inside of mm-hmm. uh, active participation? You know, are you uh, making decisions uh, you know, regarding the rentals, self-managing? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that can include managing contractors, mm-hmm. improvement bids, things like that. Anything that you are managing on your properties, and this is where it gets kind of fun. Are you an active participant? It could just be hire, hiring a manager, in which case then you could take the loss up to $25,000 and use it against other types of income, ordinary or capital gain. You, generally speaking, if you're going to have a real estate loss, if you're going to mess around with and, and create some sort of loss, you're going to want it to offset ordinary income. You're not going to want it to be against capital gains. I'll just use that as a limitation too, there, right? Of uh, 25000 Well, if you have $25,000 of active participation, otherwise, if you're a real estate professional, you can unlimit it. Remove that cap. Yeah, but I wouldn't use it against capital gains. So the answer to this question, if, 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 if it's not convoluted for did we, enough, did we not just get off on some rabbit trails there? Yeah, I think cannot, yeah the type of income that's coming down, they can be offset, but there's, but there's rules regarding losses. So can the capital gains from a brokerage account be offset by real estate losses? The answer is yes, potentially, if, depending on the type of the real estate activity, if it's ordinary non-passive or whether it's passive. If it's passive, no. And then the other fun one is when you have capital gains in a stocks uh, account, is it, you know, hopefully it's gain, but are we a trader? Are we making a mark-to-market election? Are we changing the nature of the loss on it? But this one said gate, so I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. As much as I love rabbit holes, I don't want to go down that one. But so, also things for everyone to be aware of, too. You know, just don't take this one answer that fits into a particular set of circumstances. You have to actually pay, put your circumstance to be able to get to the end result of the answer on that. Yeah, so it kind of depends. A really good question, by the way. I'll just go back to that for two seconds. Really good question, but I hope that it illustrates a good point, too which is real estate activities, when you isolate them, they could fall into any one of uh, different categories. It could be, is it rental? If it's rental, then it's presumed to be passive and you cannot use passive losses against any other type of income other than passive income. So it can't offset capital gains. Capital gains are, are, are referred to as portfolio income and you can't do it unless you fall into one of the two exceptions. And the two exceptions are real estate professional or active participation in real estate. If it's not rental activities from real estate, so you're a dealer or mm-hmm. you are uh, doing Airbnb, then it's ordinary. And then the question is, is it passive because you're not materially participating or is it non-passive? And then in which case, if it's non-passive, I can use that against any type of income. But the big question is, should I ever use it against capital gains because capital gains are actually preferred treatment, especially long-term capital gains, which case I would say you might want to keep that one in your back pocket. You know, working with a lot of clients and then also listening to other practitioners, it's important to note that there's an active participant test, mm-hmm. that's something, and then the real estate professional test. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I see that people almost, they always talk about them together mm-hmm. and confuse people. So it's very important to understand because there's different, different this, benefits or different qualifications on it. Absolutely. And it gets fun. It gets fun. But, but I see that, you know, people take the active participation to participation test. They're asking good it. questions in there. I wish I could actually see those. I'm going to give some, I like, Oh, I can pull some of these. Out. But when they're asking the questions, I love reading the chat. I'm, an, I'm a chat addict, so I'm, I'm just going to have withdrawals all day. All right. When I, uh, when I sell a property for a 1031 exchange, can I sell 100% ownership 
of the owning LLC instead of the actual real estate to avoid the transfer tax, title fees, et cetera. Assume the LLC is a single owner. LLC only owns the subject property, nothing else. Whenever I hear 1031 qualified intermediary, that's something that uh, I recommend highly. I think that it's overlooked. I think people have you have to use money. Them. You have to, but they, you know, I've, I've seen and heard too many horror stories about people missing deadlines mm-hmm. and quashing the entire thing. Yeah, but you can't 1031 exchange the interest in an entity. I'll just make it simple. And so you have to sell the real estate and it has to be named a name. So if it's an LLC selling the real estate, then it has to buy in the name of that LLC. You can't take it in a different name. Can you drop it into a different name later? Potentially. There's a case, they call it, there's Starker Exchange, which is actually a case, but there's cases where individuals would close, like I would go Toby Mathis, buy something else, and then drop it into an LLC. And then the question was, how long do you have to hold it? And the IRS has taken a position that's pretty logical, which is if the change, if the beneficial ownership didn't change, then we don't care. But uh, I don't believe you'd ever be able to do a 1031 exchange of an entity to try to avoid the transfer taxes and title fees, nor should you, because technically the change of ownership of a uh, entity, even 50% is a deemed sale of the underlying asset. So I don't- Be careful with drop and swaps. That. You can do a drop. You can, yeah, but I'd be very careful on that. Most people, when, when Michael's referring to, you to, tell them what you're referring to when you talk about a, a, a drop and swap. Basically, before you're you're actually doing the 1031, you want to go ahead and you're, you're in a partnership. And let's say that one partner has uh, a desire just to go and get the funds. You know, they're they're going to pay the tax. The other partner wants to 1031 their interest, uh, move it over into attendance in common, and then the, one, then the partners can separate it out. But there's still some little nuances there that, uh, you know, the IRS, for some reason, I guess they give us enough rope to hang ourselves with at times. Mm. Or they give us enough stuff to actually let's play the game and uh, benefit from it. Yeah. So the, the, the big question there is, again, we'll go back to that beneficial ownership. So yes. if you have an entity that has a certain number of owners in it and they're selling a property and they're, and they're selling it in the name of the LLC and going to another property, the question is all partners would have to go along for that ride. So most people are going to say you do the swap, do the 1031 exchange, and then you drop the owner, but you could have an existing relationship or existing agreement to buy out that partner. And you do it after the 1031 exchange. The problem is, is you just don't like, you never want to do this in a bubble. You want to do this with the guidance of a qualified intermediary to make sure that you you can at least point at somebody else. So if if, if if it's undone, you can try to get out of penalties. And there's something about experience. They do this all the time. They understand it. They're going to run you right through it mm-hmm. uh, if you have a qualified one. Yeah. Um, you know, with changing of ownership or resultant ownerships, uh, that's mm-hmm. something we have to be careful even with state taxes, county taxes, things like that. We mm-hmm. want congruency of ownership, I think, is something that, you know, uh, I've had a lot of questions over my career on. Yep. All right. So I think we have an easy answer on that. Don't sell the entity. You can't do that. You're going to have to sell the property. All right. If I invest in a working interest in oil well, which that's a specific phrase. If you guys have never purchased, or excuse me, if you've never invested in oil and gas, you can create ordinary loss when you do so by using, it's called a working interest in an oil well. So they took a 100% deduction, which is just an ordinary loss. It's no different than if you were in a sole proprietorship. Does the amount reduce my AGI on my tax return for the year, or is the deduction for the investment subtracted subtracted after AGI is calculated? You know, I uh, am not an oil and gas expert. It's kind of, you know, I looked into the working. I know a lot of uh, uh, people look to it to uh, you know save on taxes, 
but again, we get into a, a few of the nuances here in how much you're at risk and how much you're putting in. So, but I'm going to defer over to you. So the, I like oil and gas. I think it's uh, <laughs> it's a good one. You can like um, it. It went down to zero during pretty, the pandemic, and now right, it's over a hundred right bucks. Now, I find it very interesting to watch. That's for sure. I'll do this. I'll give credit to the oil and gas people and to the crypto people because you are able to, for whatever reason, ah, I went down thirty percent last week. <laughs> Somehow you guys can do that. Me, I'd be like rolling around and having trouble sleeping. So some of them, like, it's like a game almost, you know, and. Uh, uh, the high, high high risk tolerance, uh, I, I guess, these individuals. They like have. the feast and famine. Okay, but yeah. the oil well, it's absolutely, like, this is why people invest in oil, is you can take a massive first-year deduction. So if you have a large income, and I, I've, I've run into this with clients that have deferred, uh, de- deferred revenue or deferred income, so they leave a large corporate employer and they have big payouts for three or four years. And we'll use the working interest to lower their tax hit so that we're not having to go the real estate professional route, but they're trying to lower their income and then spread it out over a period of time. So what you're really doing is you're taking a big deduction for digging the oil, and then you're going to have revenue coming in over a period of years as the oil well depletes and as it produces income. Well, so that's what they're t- with the working interest. That's what they're taking the risk on, right? Yeah. You know, it's it, it, be depletion. Yeah, and, you're, uh, you're digging a so hole. I guess the IRS is maybe uh, you're drilling, giving a little reward for that taking that risk. Absolutely. As long as you're at risk and you just said a magic word, if yeah. you're, if you're not at risk, then you lose it. So if you, if you, even if you toss this into an LLC, you gotta be really careful that you're drafting around the loss of risk. Cause you can't take the loss if you deplete or if you avoid the risk. So you have to have the personal risk on it. And there is risk. I mean, underperforming, you know, that's, that's one of them, uh, commodity price fluctuations, things like that. It's uh, more than that. You have to actually be personally responsible. responsible for you it. have to be in a general partnership. Otherwise, you lose the ability to take that loss as ordinary loss, which is what we want. We want ordinary, active, uh, non-passive loss, which is what this is. Now, the question here, though, is does it come before your adjustment? Because the old adage was first adjust, then deduct. Mm -hmm. And what they're talking about is an adjustment is things like student interest, contributing to an IRA, things like that. A deduction is standard deduction or Schedule A is it my mortgage, health coverage, or health deductions? Used to have miscellaneous itemized deductions, and those went away in 2017. We have our real estate taxes, things like that, that you're looking at your schedule, excuse me, your charitable deductions. You're looking at those, and you're taking those after you do your AGI. This would be done before your AGI is calculated. So to answer your question, whoever asked this, is does it come be in the calculation of your AGI? Your AGI is all sources of income and losses. So if you're a sole proprietor, if you're a member of a general partnership and you have loss, if you have K-1s, if you have wages, if you have any income, that's part of your gross income. And then you have an adjustment, which is the things like the student interest and IRAs and HSA and all that stuff. And then you get to your standard deduction. So the answer to your question is it's before the AGI. Does it right. reduce your AGI? Yes, it reduces your AGI. And some of you guys are probably going, there's a reason that that's a big deal because things like charitable donations are based on a percentage of your adjusted gross income. So if I lo- lower my adjusted gross income, I'm lowering my ability to take certain charitable do- donations and things like that. So they all work together. Love that nuance and that little bit of complexity, mm-hmm. but always you're always saying gross income, then you adjust, then you deduct. But to get to your gross income is losses and 
wages and all the positive net income, then you get to do your adjustments. Then you get to take your deductions. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. And, uh, you know, always, uh, again, the nuances always bounce it up. Uh, uh, your tax advisor. That's what we like. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's play another one. If I buy an existing home inside of an opportunity zone, will I be able to save tax on the capital gain if keeping the property for 10 years? You know, the funny thing about this, when you look first look at a uh, kind of issue spot in there, and the, the first thing that got me, if I buy a, is it an existing home in an opportunity zone, will mm. I be able to, you know what I'm saying? I so much. Uh, Why? Well, I mean, is it, is it called qualified opportunity fund? You need to invest in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you uh, go. So, you know, again, we got to be careful how we're talking. Maybe you are investing, but when I hear. What's an opportunity time, zone? Uh, let's see, I was going to say the Vegas joke, but I think that uh, um, what I really think of is, and I, and I love opportunity zones. I think that the premise behind them was, was, was something that, you know, living in different big cities, mm. uh, you see the, and, well, I mean, you were in downtown Seattle, you were in, so, uh, what, Soto? What, what, what? I was in Georgetown. Georgetown, but it was like, we're well, not south of the dome, I think. They just, but you see these different areas that kind of- got There was no lawyers. There was me and the ex-gov, Al Rosalini. He was he was in a dry eye plant, a dry mm. ice plant, literally. And he had the Cadillac that said the gov. He was a little bit connected, but was there wasn't really, much down there. Yeah, I was really excited because you take these areas that maybe are depressed, you know, and uh, revitalization, rejuvenation nation. I think that you know the, the theory behind it's been fantastic, mm-hmm. and they really gave us an opportunity to, or incentive, I guess, to be able to invest in it. You know, getting some but of the capital gains, rolling investments over there. An opportunity zone, though, like it is basic. Like it's just a place that we want people to invest in. So Correct. it's an economically disadvantaged area that we need to spur investment. So Correct. you're giving somebody something. So okay, so I, I thought you were going to use another term to describe those areas, but <laughs> hey, I, know, hey, I know we're a little more relaxed there's not here bad. on Tax Tuesday. There's not bad, but, yeah, but they're not bad. There's some actually really good opportunity zones. We just had, you know, for example, you could unintentionally go into an opportunity zone to list the zip codes where we want to spur economic activity. We want to spur investment. So what they're giving somebody is the ability to defer your capital gains. So the first thing you have to have is capital gains. And then they'll let you defer it until 2027. They'll even allow you to step up the basis a little That's, bit and, and, and avoid tax on a portion of it. So as when you go into an opportunity zone, what they're really saying is, hey, we won't make you pay tax on your capital gains right now, but you will pay tax on it. But you only pay tax on 90% of it if you owned or if you have, if you wait five years. So five years, then seven years, and then was it 10 years? The seven years is an impossibility now because right. we are in 2020. But originally, right? Yeah. Originally, you would, you actually had the chance to get 10% step up in year five, another 5% in year seven, but we can't hold seven uh, years anymore because you have to recognize it at the end of 2026. But here's the actually, can we even get five years? How many think we can get five years now? What is it? So years go by so fast now. It's 2022. So, so this is the so you're going to just defer your capital gains. Yeah. Then the asset itself. So let's say that I buy a business in an opportunity zone, or I buy a piece of property. Then so long as I meet certain requirements and improve that, which this is the problem with the real estate is when you see, can I buy a home? Not a personal home. Yeah. You can buy a piece of property, but you're going to have to double its depreciable basis, which means the improvement on the property is going to need to be doubled. And if you do that and you hold it for at least 10 years, 
you could step up the basis on any given year to its fair market value and avoid tax on the growth of that asset. But you have to recognize the deferred gain in 2027 period, as though you sold it on December 31st of 2026. Think about the win-win. I mean, there's a lot of investors who went in ahead and got into there and then looked at the appreciation that we've had too. Yeah. You know? And so I, I you know this is one of those kind of uh, well, the, cool things that came about uh, for, for everybody. Here's you know, the like, stinky part. You're, why would you sell? You have to wait 10 years. Correct on that. Uh, you know, one of the investment strategies I use is I look at areas that are up and coming and they're changing over or mm-hmm. that were depressed. And now, you know, through the growth of the, uh, of, you know, of the area now, and they're yeah. but, uh, like, you know, that's where you want to live. That's where people want to live. Uh, yeah. um, so good investment strategy. Too. Yeah. And then you, you said something in the beginning that I don't want to let go of uh, the qualified opportunity zone fund. So mm-hmm. you defer gain into a opportunity zone fund, which then invests in the opportunity zone property. So it's not something you get to do in order to be a fund. It has to be a partnership or a corporation. So this is not appropriate if it's your personal residence or if you're doing it as a house or Correct. something like that. that. that the, the red flags, for instance, said, I, 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 yeah. I, and I thought, ah, all right. So yeah. So if you're out there, are you seeing any of the chats? I just, I see the chats and I just want to read the chats, but it's so far away. I can't read it. Let's see. I'm sad. Some of them aren't directly on here. Uh, you know, on I love chat. To the actual, uh, you know, on, on the actual topic. Yeah, I can bring this up. No, no, I'm just going to start reading all the chats. I want to read all the chats. All right, let's dive into this. There's Clint. This is the Tax and Asset Protection Workshop. You guys should register and come watch Clint speak. I get to talk in the afternoon with the 30 minutes that he leaves me. I'm just kidding. He talks in the morning and I speak in the <laughs> afternoon. He usually goes a little long. Does a great job, though. If you want to learn about LLCs, land trusts, corporations, S-corps, retirement plans, how to protect your house, how to protect your real estate, how to protect your assets, does a great job. And then in the afternoon, we go over tax planning. Specifically for real estate, we go over everything from your, your dealers to your real estate agents to people that are buying rentals to Airbnb, all the different types of real estate. And then we finish off with some legacy planning. It's absolutely free. The next one is on April 9th of 2022. So it starts in 10 days and 22 hours. Or something What's like consistent that. in that is the comments we get of how much information we can actually pack into that. Um, and then supplement, supplemental information uh, we cover in the structural implementation workshop too. And it's free. And it's free. <laughs> Where else do you have a law? You got to, you got to, you got to uh, devote a weekend. And no, we don't give you a recording of it. We do them live, and we reward the people that are there. Uh, we give a ridiculous offer every time we do it. We we change it up and give you guys something that makes it a big old thank you for being there. And you, I think it's you the foundation for everyone. I mean, everybody who's interested in business or investing, whether it's stock or real estate. Uh, you got to understand those principles or at least be exposed to them. Because here's the truth. People like to try to take things away from people that have stuff. It goes back to when you're a little kid and somebody's got a toy and somebody wants to walk up and take away the toy. It's because you have the toy. I want the toy because you have the toy. If you have the funds, somebody's going to try to take it from you. And it's like (laughs) basically (laughs) it. Some of these plaintiffs out there that I've run across. I have a five-year-old and a 19-month-old and uh, it's fun to watch them go back they're quite a bit nicer. I find that children are a lot nicer than mean plaintiffs with ambulance chasing lawyers. Why did you have to ruin my day talking about lawyers? Lawyers are a lot of fun. I just don't like the ones that chase ambulances or or ninety nine percent of them. No, <laughs> it's 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 the five percent that ruins it for everybody. It the really problem is, is is that the billboard folks 
no offense if you're a billboard lawyer, but I'm going to give you the stink eye. <laughs> you got to be benefiting your client, right? You got to be doing something. Don't just be a claims adjuster that's basically get taken 40%. That you're not doing anybody any service there. It's just me. There's some really good ones like Howard and Spiva and some of those guys. Oh, just yeah. wonderful people. Well, I think that, I think what the difference between but you know what I mean. I think I, what they do is they have a mantle. You know, they got to they they, they did this to help other people, and I think that's uh, important. somehow in in California, you guys just got a magnet for these folks. That just I think there's some jokes the, on that, by the way. I don't find it funny, but like we had a client once that got sued by an heir because they were convinced that they that dad was going to disinherit his kid. And they literally filed a lawsuit asserting that only a bad, somebody, only somebody who was insane would disinherit their son. And therefore the dad must be compromised. And, you know, and they wanted to appoint a conservator over the dad and the dad was married and they were just ticked off because the kid kept bugging him about the inheritance. Look at like, the legal standpoint, but look at the detrimental effect on someone's, you know, the, the family. Look at the detrimental effect on mm-hmm. the person's psyche, questioning into, are they, are they but, saying, but are they saying Some lawyer things? took that case. And, and, and ran with it. And uh, anyway, yeah, there's a special place. But we're not talking about that. We're talking yeah, let's about get back really, to tax. Yeah. We're going to talk about tax. All right. How will electing real estate professional status impact my rentals when I sell them? Will they still be considered as capital gains or will it be taxed as ordinary since I have elected to be a real estate professional? Good question. What say is Michael? Well, again, I think we have to go back to uh, you know, how we get there. Why are you doing real estate professional? Is it current or is it for the future sale? On the sale of the property, there's very few downsides to real estate professional when you're working with properties. The sale remains capital gains. It's congruent. Yeah, it does not change it to ordinary. The only issue where you have ordinary income when you are a real estate professional is when you do a cost segregation Ooh, and you change I the property. Those. Yeah, when you change the property from 1250 to 1245, which just is a fancy way of saying structural property versus personal property. If there's value in the personal property, there might be some ordinary recapture because it's taxed as ordinary income when you have recapture personal property as opposed to depreciation, which would be taxed as recapture at zero to 25%. And if you didn't follow that, don't worry, because most accountants don't know all those rules either. I'll just say that the people that do real estate, and if you do real estate enough, you're going to realize that when you sell a property and you depreciate it, there's always something to be paid unless you 1031 exchange, or unless you hold it until you die and it steps up in basis. Or what I tell people that that invest, I wrote a book called Infinity Investing, that infinity part is the part you focus on. Don't sell your stuff. If you want money and you have a bunch of real estate, just borrow against it. So I've got a good question out of chat here. Uh, uh, if I have not used my LLC or C Corp for real estate business, can I use it for a different business as a 1099 employee? I guess this would be in parentheses, a contract employee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way we draft our operating agreements, our bylaws, we're going to open up to, you can do a lot of different activities. One of the things I would say is though, make sure that one of those activities isn't bringing more risk than you would want against another activity. I would never put a high risk activity with a low risk activity, but yeah, you can go ahead and change direction of a corporation. You know, this isn't really tax wise, but it, it, it depends on the documents that you have drafted. Yeah. The, the documents are outlining. If, yeah. If it's us, we generally draft things that are for any lawful business purposes, but there are attorneys and law firms that draft things specifically and they will nail you in. If they put it in their articles that you have a restriction, or if you put it in your bylaws, or your operating agreement, and if you have partners, 
you got to read what you actually sign. I, I was speaking with an attorney just actually in the last year, um, and they were saying, well, it's not specific enough. And I said, well, okay, so wait a minute, our clients are fluid, entrepreneurial in nature. So you want to go ahead and, you know, if, if a client changes direction of their business, adds another avenue of business, mm. what do you do for them? Well, I redraft their operating agreement or bylaws, so or you amend them or what have you. Um, I said, so what you're doing there is what, <laughs> an, an, another billable opportunity for yeah. you, because you know, I asked it, them if they did it for free. If you had investors, I could get it. Like, hey, I'm going to raise money to do a self-storage. But raising money yeah. on third parties? It, yeah, or it, public it, that's a different animal. Then, okay, yeah. keep it narrow because the investors, if they're putting money in for the self-storage, they don't want to go out and find out that you built an airline. Financing. Right. Would yeah. Be it, it, yeah. So, but if it's you and it's somebody, I want to have my, I want my clients to have versatility and you should be able to do whatever you want with the dang thing. I think it's also the way the type of people you and I are, you know, we want to be able to be nimble. Mm-hmm. And seize opportunities quickly. And uh, you know, I don't like to be pigeonholed into something. Uh, uh, you know, we look at our estate plans. We we plan for the what ifs. You know, with our estate plans, uh, you know, we want to make sure that as life evolves, that we don't continually have to change them. That we already have provisions in there that take care of the the what ifs in life because life life can change quite a bit. All right, back to our friends, the real estate professional status and how it will impact your capital gains. One of the things that you do want to know is that there's a weird nuanced benefit, perhaps, of being a real estate professional. And Michael, you and I have talked about it before. It's the net investment income tax that gets assessed on individuals that are over $200,000 if they're single or $250,000. It's just 3.8% on investment income. Capital gains generally qualify for that. There's a nuance that if you're a real estate professional and you sell, you may be able to avoid it, yeah. avoid it. But here's the one thing. Real estate professional status is not something you do every year. Real estate professional status is something you qualify every year. And the more you do it, the easier it is to qualify. But you could be just regular Joe Schmo investor. But if you're going to sell a property and it's going to have a, like a pretty big impact, you may want to consider if I'm selling it in a particular year, if I qualify as real estate professional, I may avoid an additional 3.8% imposition of tax. If I'm selling a multi-million dollar property, something to consider. Look at your other activity you're doing too. Maybe you can change things around and uh, to maximize that. Fun one. This this, this, this one is a good one. All right. When I QDC, which just means quick claim deed, transfer a property from my personal name to an LLC, which is solely owned by my wife. So it's assuming it's husband and wife, you're transferring your property into an LLC held by your spouse, then I was told there's a possibility I would lose title insurance. Is there a workaround to retain the title insurance? You know what's interesting is this, if you, uh, gosh, and again, it's like uh, 15, 16 years ago, you would have heard nonstop, just quick claim into the LLC, quick claim it over here, quick claim it there. That was really with investors, prominent information from many advisors, attorneys, uh, mm-hmm. people, without really understanding what is the difference between a quick claim deed and a warranty deed? Really quickly, if I quick claim my property to you in a quick claim deed, I'm saying, hey, Toby, you know what? Hey, any rights I have in this, you know, I can eh, have it. You can have it. What does that really do, though? I mean, like, I think it's important when you look at this, what does that really mean? Hey, well, if I don't have the bundle of rights that we, we associate with property law, mm-hmm. then all I'm giving you is this pen. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and take this pen. Now, I might not even have full claim that pen, 
Tom or Elliot might have, have have some rights in there. It might be a clouded title. What did I just do? I just gave you whatever rights I had, which might not have been very many, mm-hmm. as opposed to a warranty deed, which I'm actually warranting to you, and there's six seasons of title, the warranting you that, hey, I own this property full and, you know, and I get full. What does that money. have to do with title insurance, though? Well, that's what the title insurance is doing is when I got these rights, they're ensuring that I do have these rights. If later on a cloud comes on that title, you get that with it, and there's no real recourse. So could I affect my title insurance by quick claiming it? Yeah. Yeah. You could technically, you could void out your title insurance because title insurance will cover you. Correct. And cover title so long as there's something, an insurable interest in it. If I transfer away without without having any warranty on that title, then my policy just lapsed. Yeah. And I no longer have a valid policy, which is, I think, what they're talking about here is if I quit claim, depending on the type of title insurance I have and whether it's talking about the interest I have to insure, if I do have language in that policy that says that the policy remains in effect so long as I am, I have an insure, the interest is insurable, mm-hmm. then by transferring it even to a spouse, even into an LLC via a quit claim deed. I could just have canceled my I love title question. insurance. So you just want to check with, here's the easy answer. Talk to your ter- your title yes. company. Yes. And if in doubt, you always do a warranty deed. And, and I don't love do- that we're exposing this to people because again, you know, I've heard practitioners, practitioners even quick recently, they always quick claim, just quick claim, yeah, quick claim. It's become such a, you know, with real estate investors, it's become such a- There's a, there's a nuance uh, and not every title policy would get voided. No. Not everybody would, would, would stick to that. But if you did end up with clouded title, and you're thinking that you have title insurance to cover you and you and, and they find a way out of covering you, that's going to suck. Well, even when you go for financing and things like that, it's just, uh, uh, I, I think, kind of a sloppy way to look at it. Just ask title. Say, make sure. Or just do a warranty deed. Easier. <laughs> do the warranty deed. And, and nicer. Cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Do the warranty deed. Make it simple. And don't do a limited warranty, right? <laughs> no, do again, you're limited yeah. to those rights, right? Yeah. Well, you want to make sure that you don't unintentionally undo that title insurance. Or even causing when you go to sell the property too, I think you can have some nuances too. It's like, you know, some investors are, hey, I don't know. I mean, here's inside the chain of title. Here's where it limit, you know, either quick claim deed and, and destroys those kind of uh, warranties. What did you do quick claim over? We don't yeah. even know. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. Because we it, don't know if anybody else is out there maybe sitting there on title. Depending on the value of the property or, or the a, cost a of the property, I might be okay with it or I might not be okay with it. All right. Let's talk about gifting versus business pay. We have a rental property, not much to manage. The rental check goes in, the mortgage payment goes out. What would be a fair amount to pay our child so she can pay for college out of a paycheck from the rental account? Or should we just gift her up to $30,000 from mom and dad each year? I thought this was really interesting uh, because, again, I think it goes to parenting, too. What what do you want to do? Uh, Mm -hmm. And what are your overall goals with your estate plan uh, that might be very viable? You know, one of the things that when you're reading it, immediately went in my head, being that I have, again, a five-year-old and an 18-month-old or 19-month-old, I have no idea what direction. If they're going to have financial stewardship, mm-hmm. I'm getting them into infinity investing. They're going to understand those principles. They're going to have, mm-hmm. you know, again, financial stewardship. But uh, the, the, something that came out is the words, not much to manage. So immediately there's a disparity in between, a discrepancy between $30,000 and what's the value of not much to manage? Um, yeah. I'm just putting a little thing here. Spend. 
So if I'm going to spend $30,000, here's the problem with us parents that have kids that go to college. When you are dealing with tax world, you have this little guy here before you, you get to spend it. So you earn X and you're taxed at a certain percentage in order to spend $30,000. So let's, percent, let's pretend that you're paying 30%, which is the average United States payment. It's actually 299 that people pay, which means you have employment taxes, you have income taxes, but we would have to make under this theory, $45,000 in order to have $30,000 to spend. I'm allowed to gift my, my child up to a certain annual exclusion. I think it's around $15,000. So mom and dad could each do $15,000 to their child and they don't have to pay tax on the gift. Correct. It's kind of weird, but they tax gifts in this country. And you're either going to use your annual exclusion or you're going to use your lifetime exclusion, which is sitting at like, I think it's a, almost $12 million. It's $12 million each right now. So like you have this huge exclusion. So, so giving money away is never really an issue. But you had to pay, this case, it's $15,000 a year in tax that you're paying on that. And we, we don't want you to pay that. So the child, let's say that a child earned $30,000 and their tax bracket isn't going to be 30 because they have a standard deduction of 12,000 in some odd change. It's almost 13,000. And then they're going to be at 10% and 12%. So aggregate total tax bracket, let's just say they're at 10%. It's going to be less than that. That means that they could make, let's just say 33,000 to spend 30. They can make a lot less than you and pay a lot less in tax, but you have to justify it. it has to be reasonable. It, and, and again, the uh, not much activity. Uh, you know, is there anything else that they can actually do to maybe bump that up too? Well, so we have one piece of property, but it tells me is you probably aren't going to get there. Yeah. It's going to be really tough unless there's some significant activity. If that's an Airbnb, you might be able to get there. Most cases, it, compensation it, must be reasonable. Yeah. So it just depends on what they're doing and what they're doing for the money and what you are doing. My experience is that you got to have a management company and you got to be doing other activities. Mm. And so anything you guys can do to make money, even if it's a side gig or something, if that daughter is able to do something that is a high value activity, for example, Anything that's in uh, internet marketing right now, it's a, it's, you're paying a ton for people. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for somebody who's qualified. That's a really good expert in marketing that does this stuff. It's, they're making good, good money. So you don't have, like, you're not going to be sweating 30,000 bucks if they're able to do things. Anything with social media, $30,000. You're not sweating it in at the all. Space, the kids know more about that than us. <laughs> but for one rental property, it's not going to be sufficient. Yeah, you might be able to get some, but it's, it's going to be reasonable. Yeah. That's a good guiding light for almost anything when you're going to deal with tax. So what I would be doing with this with this is I'd say either, either I'm going to go buy a bunch more properties or I'm going to start to up my game, in which case then my daughter, even if the activity isn't super profitable, there's an opportunity to me to transfer money from me to her that's deductible to me and is taxable to her at a much lower rate than what I'm paying for school. You know, maybe outline it, uh, document the duties and uh, obligations. It's, it's going to save me, yeah. in this particular example, it saves me about $13,000 a year. Which kind is of some uh, questions that are right on point. Uh, what ends if I don't have kids? Can I gift to my niece and nephew? Same situation, 
I can gift, but I'd be so much better giving them a job instead yeah. and having them work. Yeah, you can always give to, to anybody. Because I want to be able to deduct it. Correct. Tax-wise. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and by the way, if it's a family member or a parent or somebody who's an adult, there's ways to transfer money from your business to them tax-free without creating a paper trail either. It's not just about paying somebody, but like, let's say that I used your home. I could use Michael's house. And let's say I had a, a, a business. I can say, hey, Michael, let me use your home to have a corporate meeting. And we will watch Tax Tuesday and we will discuss. And I want you to be part of a conversation with my board. I could pay you a reasonable amount. Let's say it's a thousand bucks. Reasonable. I could pay Michael that money. He doesn't report it. I have a deduction. Voila. I'm a big winner. Michael's a big winner. And I'm I'm saving some money on my taxes. Michael's getting some tax-free revenue, and he's maybe being exposed to some things that he otherwise wouldn't be exposed to. Well, and there's a there's a whole kit inside the platinum too for uh, those who are interested in that strategy. Yeah, the two eighty eight two eighty eight kit. It's, yeah. in, it's in the uh, tax toolbox. Actually. Tax toolbox too. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, what one other one? How old can a child? Because I, I really like this because again, reasonableness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how old can a child be for this scenario? There's cases with the IRS with children as low as uh, nine years of age that were getting Screen Actors Guild rates for their uh, marketing, for their use of their imaging on marketing. But I know some accountants that have gone younger. Don't do that stuff. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. It's reasonable. So if they're able to you know, uh, use a broom, they're able to clean up, they're 10, 11, 12, yes, but it still has to be a reasonable amount. So you can't pay them 50 bucks an hour. You might be able to pay them 10, 11, 12 bucks an hour. Nowadays, shoot, they're hiring at, uh, what is it called? In-N-Out Burger, 20 bucks an hour. We were going through there. One of our accountants was like taking a picture of the sign. It's crazy what's going on in some of these areas, but reasonable amount, what you could pay a third party to do something equivalent. And, uh, and again, I would paper your file, document, document, document. Yeah, but you don't have to worry about the 16 years. You don't if it's if it's your kids, related parties, you're okay. You don't have to worry about child. About 19 month old. Huh? What can we get her to do? Uh, take some pictures. Uh, get her images out there. Marketing, right? Yep. Yeah. It, it's just being about creative. Really, yeah. Yep. It's really fun. I mean, I you know over the I guess uh, again decades, uh, seeing how our clients have taken principles and actually implemented them, mm-hmm. and sometimes it just brings a tear to my eye. Like, wow, I'm proud of our clients for taking this to the next step. Really cool. I'm thinking of all the horrible things you could do, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> all right. How can I reduce my taxes if I have an Airbnb but do not own it? Oops, is that the right one? Yeah. Make sure. Yeah, all right. Good. Yeah. How can I reduce my taxes if I have an Airbnb but I do not own it? I lease my Airbnb from another owner and realize that I can't take any of the normal depreciation since I don't own it. You run it like a business, I guess, and try to get as many business deductions as you as possible. Again, when 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 I read this, is it? The I, 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 are we doing it as a individual or are we doing it as a, as, as a business? Are we mm-hmm. using a C corporation where, you know, then we, we have exponential more uh, uh, deductions that are uh, one thing I always like to do whenever I teach anything, customary, ordinary, reasonable, and necessary uh, mm-hmm. deductions. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I would break this down a little bit different mm-hmm. because I would say Airbnb activity if they are a host, so they're renting it and they're True. and they're basically a host and it's seven days or less, then it's not a rental activity. You're a, just a typical business. So what would I do to, to lower my expenses? I would make sure that I'm t- administrative office in my home. 
I'd be using an S-Corp more than likely as the host. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd be doing this in my individual name under any circumstances. No. Or I might be a C-Corp where I can reimburse 100% of my medical, dental, vision expenses, things like that. I'd be adding those things up, seeing how much money could I get out tax-free. And then of the remaining portion of the money, I might have to take a salary. But again, I could do a 401k. I was going to say, yeah, you take a salary. Everyone says, oh my gosh, taking a salary, you're, you're exposed to the additional 50.3% plus whatever. And, uh, but then you get maybe contributions over to a retirement plan, which, yeah, there's tax savings there, but they're also, that's for your retirement. So you're able to yeah. contribute it over later. So, and you have to, like, Social Security, for a bunch of people bash on it. If you don't pay into it, you don't get any benefit from it. If Correct. you pay into it, you're going to get a benefit anyway. And I just like you're not paying, you're, you're paying. The company's paying half, you're paying half. Mm-hmm. The half that the company's paying is deductible. Your half, you're getting back at some point, at least portion of it. You'll probably be taxed on that portion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just like that sometimes we can do things that, you know, maybe seem on the up front, they maybe be mm-hmm. a detriment. But when you start boiling it down, again, looking from a tax wise standpoint, a QRP, qualified retirement plan, um, but also you're saving for retirement. And if you do the QRP right, you're also able to control. Those funds, but the maybe depreci- roll them over in, uh, from past uh, employers. The depreciation is simply a deduction. And just because I don't have that one particular deduction doesn't mean that I'm off and I can't get other types of deductions. So it's just one of many. And we're talking about everything from a cell phone to your computer. All of those things are deductions. And if you really want to lower your expenses, you start buying things like Michael's computer here. And Apple, those things are flipping expensive. You could buy it on credit and write it all off. Boom, I just lowered my income. Could I do that as an Airbnb host? Absolutely. Could I also do, hey, I need to be able to be on call. If you're doing as an S-Corp or a C-Corp or an LLC taxed as an S-Corp or an LLC taxed as a C-Corp, again, you have the ability to write off full on a lot of things, everything from my from my data to my cell phone to all those things. I like waving my cell phone for some reason. Look, but it's necessary. You have to have these tools. So I'm just going to wave it around. Now. <laughs> um, this is my broken cell phone, by the way. I just love the fact that I feel so comfortable now that it's broken. Why we can't have nice things, Toby. All right. I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those guys that I love it. When I, I I've had this thing, it broke my screen. You guys can't see it, but I have like the, the spidering on the back and on the front. I broke that two years ago. It definitely has character. That's for sure. I just don't have any anxiety about dropping my phone. <laughs> None. Zilch, when I, I drop I, it, I'm I like, can tell, Toby. I can tell. You don't have to be hateful. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I respect it. <gasps> All right. I've been filing my... T- I'm just teasing. <laughs> I mean, I really did break this thing like two years ago. And I just can't bring myself to replace it. My wife goes, we should go there and replace it. I'm like... For but what? I could break it. <laughs> and I mean, are you really going to use those extra 10 features uh, or do you use it for a telephone and also your, your emails, things like that? So. Yeah, I'm not good with technology. No. All right. I've been filing my taxes on Schedule C. Uh, I'm going to give you the eyeball. I'm going to give you the eye. You can zoom in on an eye. Well, this this yeah. takes a little bit of a turn right. too, huh? The yeah. way we, if we keep going Schedule into Schedule C. It. All right. So they're doing a private lending on my business. So I've been filing my taxes on Schedule C. That's a sole proprietorship, by the way. And all my business income is loan interest from private lending. My first year, 2020, was a net loss, which is good that it's on Schedule C. Like now we're going, yay, I can write it off. This year, 2021, and hopefully all future years will have a significant profit. 
Yeah. If I, that's yep. awesome. If I continue to report the interest income as gross receipts or other income on Schedule C, I'm assuming I'll have to pay self-employment tax on the profit. I'm thinking maybe I should report the interest income on Schedule B and my ex- expenses on Schedule C. Uh-huh. I'm going to give you the stink eye again. This is well, this is how trader status came about, right? What are your thoughts? Should I be paying self-employment tax on interest income? I sincerely appreciate your advice and help. Thank you. Well, at first blush, you would say that interest would go on Schedule B, right? I mean, that's but but if you didn't know that that was their trader business of being a right. private lender, but when you, you go. combine with the private lending that that's your business, then no, it goes on Schedule C. But if you just quickly glance at the tax code, you would think it went on Schedule B, right? If I earn interest in a savings account, it's going to go on my Schedule B. If I earn interest as a trader business, trade then, or business, right? And, and and that's what they said. I'm a, I'm doing private right. lending. It's an it's well, he, I'm, an I'm sure they activity. took. I'm sure they yeah. took. An ordinary non-passive loss in technically interest income's portfolio income. The way to change it into active ordinary income is to be a material participant and run it as a trade or business. Now, once you go down that path, just to answer this question and make keep it really simple, you're a trader business. You don't have interest income anymore. You have income. And I don't care whether you're selling services or interest. You are in the business of, of, of loaning money. You are a bank, essentially. Yep. And so now it's active. You're materially participating. It's ordinary income. I wouldn't be doing this on a Schedule C. What I'd be doing is saying the business that's going to be dealing with third parties, I would want to make sure that's an S Corp or a C Corp Mm -hmm. to isolate the liability and to allow me to take some of that income that would now I'm subject to that self-employment tax. This guy right here. Is not a small tax. That's 15.3%. You know that it's the largest revenue source for our government is the collection of old age disability survivors insurance and Medicare social security taxes. It's more than income taxes. That is a huge tax. And you can get around it if you use an S Corp. You can you can minimize it. You cannot get around it. Yeah. And what I would be doing in this situation is I would put my cash in a bucket, like in an LLC, create like an arbitrage. And I would, I would loan on a long-term, not as a trader business to a corp. And that could be an LLC tax as a corp. And then that's the guy going out there to third parties. When I hear private lending, this is exactly the structure that I'm going to recommend. Yep. It depends on how big you always have a little asterisk too, but most cases, this is, it, it accomplishes many of those. This guy then goes on to your Schedule B because it's not a business. This guy right here, if it's an S, blows love it. On, yeah, that, love that, it. that's the easiest route around. Yeah. So hopefully, without being too convoluted, you have a you have a reasonable solution. What you could do to minimize your tax and not get destroyed. And if this is you, please contact our office. Get a, get an appointment with one of the advisors. We could save you some tax and protect you. And uh, yeah, so. yeah, keep you from getting it. Wait, say that again. <laughs> Again, that's the only thing I see. I'm not allowed to look at chat anymore. They're banning me from chat ever because I would just read chats all day long. Say that again. Again. (laughs) All right. No, I'm just teasing. That was was Um, a dad joke. All right, then you should have said. I know. Right. Imagine what would, kind of jokes we would have had uh, twenty years ago, back in '99. They were totally different than these ones now. I know, say that. Uh, okay, LLC. Show that slide again. Wait, no, they're asking again. Yeah. All right. That slide. Let me show you guys. I'll do this a little differently. This is, and you know, we deal with a lot of private lenders, and I think that this is really eye-opening, especially when you're teaching a whole bunch of private lenders from the front of the room. Fantastic. All right. So 
you're going to see a black screen. I just made this black on purpose. If I'm doing everything to third parties out of here, my loan lending and my entire business becomes a trade or business. I'm materially participating, which means either I'm ha- I'm doing all the activity or I'm spending more than 100 hours and more than anybody else or 300 hours or over 500 hours. It doesn't matter. Any of those get me to where if I'm doing everything, I am now Schedule C. Everything's going on Schedule C. If you want to break that, you need to break your business into two pieces. You're still going to have the trader business section, but I'm going to put the money down here and I'm going to loan at a percentage rate to more than likely it's going to be a C or S corp. And that's for tax purposes. This could be an LLC. And the reason I'm doing that is because this loan interest, as it earns money, the money's flowing in interest this way, cashola. I've loaned the money up here. So it's, it's putting it on the street. This is now going to go through and it's going to remain portfolio interest income, which is not subject to self-employment tax. This guy up here is a trader business and it, and I don't want the Schedule C. The reason I don't want Schedule C is because it's about 800% more likely to get audited. It loses it, their audits when you're a sole proprietor. You lose your audits more than 90% of the time. It was 94 to 95% of the time. This term gets kicked around like, you know, the sole proprietors get uh, uh, audited much more than uh, traditional business or C-Corps or, you know. They uh, do. You know, I have my own theories is that, you know, if you take the extra steps to formalize your business, then you're mm-hmm. more able or you're, you're more adapt to actually keep better records. Then if you're just a sole proprietorship, you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants. I like, think the IRS knows that sole proprietors it, don't keep records. Don't keep records. I, yeah. and, that, and, that, and that's my opinion. I don't have any stats behind it, but I think that it's a, you know the people who actually take the next step to formalize their business into a, a corporation. Or it's or much more difficult. You're, but you're also looking at keeping receipts. You're more, mm-hmm. I guess, formal. That's my own uh, opinion on that. You seem congruent in that. Yes. But I just look at the stats. I'm just So IRS publishes their data book. You know who gets audited the most in this country? Syracuse University just came out with a study. Oh, I thought you were going to say Syracuse University. No, they don't. <laughs> but you know who gets audited the most? Uh, I wouldn't guess. Who? People that make less than $25,000 a year are audited five times more than anybody else. It's because they're like the ones that are trying to maybe script more or take more advantage of things. You think it's or I think the IRS. They don't have attorneys? They don't have attorneys it? or representation yeah. and they pay things. That's disgusting. They just... Yeah, they roll over quick. Yeah, you know who doesn't get audited? Everybody else. Everybody, else. especially yeah. nowadays with the uh, yeah the lack rate. of staff that uh, the IRS has. There was uh, I forget the number. I think it was eleven thousand audits last time I checked of people making more than a million dollars a year. There was over one hundred seventy thousand returns, and it was just a small percentage. But it was such a small number, it was like eh. Yeah. But yeah, you want to get audited? Don't make money. <laughs> <laughs> or do a uh, like, like we used to have, there you was don't make fo- money you won't, you won't get sued either probably there was a table it was 17b of the publication 55 so if anybody wants from home you can google this stuff but it's the irs data book and that form would break down depending on the type of schedules that were filed on a return you could see it i think it was the last year where they did it was 20 what was it 2019 2019 was the last year they had that form 17b and I think it went from like sole proprietors were audited more than 2%, 2.4% of the time. And then it will drop down to like, if you're making decent money, hundred thousand or so, it was like 1.6%, but the S corps 0.1, 0.2 fraction. 
partnerships were so small, it was 0.00 something where they had to put the little asterisks. That's surprising. It was really low. Right. Anyway, hey, if you like this type of information, by all means, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, go to our website, uh, go to our YouTube. And when I say our YouTube, I'm being completely selfish here. It says my name on it. So, so like what? sending you, them there. You, you, you are Mr. Tax You've got a gift. Biggie, biggie, biggie. Uh, I'm I, like, please go there and click that little bell because uh, there's so much information that we're putting out. I'm trying to do videos three, three or four times a week, get it out to you guys. And right now it's really important because there's lots of stuff that are on the table for the tax. So I like, so, uh, you know, action adventure movies and stuff like that. Do you like just want or read the tax code as an uh, action adventure movie? No. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, Toby. You you've got an innate ability with the, the tax, tax code. code is I, I nobody understands. Tool. Nobody I understands. It's a tool it. that we are able to yeah. use, but it's, you have a passion for this tool. No, it's just there's little gold nuggets in it. No, you yeah. just figure out what the nuggets awesome. are. And every time they take something away, they have to give something back. Once you know that, then you start looking for what they gave. Oh, I got a great chat here. You guys are awesome. I'm learning so much. I feel so more much more confident about my ideas after listening to you. Thank you, Julie. That's uh, that's great to hear. We 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 love what we do. If you can't tell, uh, we love the company. Julie, and we have nice. some awesome employees, by the way. Julie gets a big star. What did you yeah. do? Smiley face. A smiley face. I like emojis. I like those emojis, except the one that looks like poop. <laughs> don't know if I like that one. All right. I'm with you on that. Well, that, that was a little rabbit hole, but let's get back to the, uh, let's right. get back if, to it because we got a few more. And uh, here's a good one. Them. If clients did large conversion of a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA in their 60s, so it's taxable mm-hmm. event, moving it over to their Roth, will that affect their Medicare premiums? Is it considered to be their pre retirement income level? I think the first thing I see is, is, hey, let's look at tax planning. When do you want to do this? Do you want to do it all at once? Do you want to break it up over years? I almost never want to do it because the numbers are real simple. If if your income tax bracket is going to go up when you retire, do a Roth. If it's going to go down, do a traditional. And also uh, calculations on uh, Part B, too? Yeah. So the answer to this is yes, Yes. it will affect your Medicare premiums absolutely for at least two years. And then you have the five-year look back on uh, Medicaid too. So you're going to have all sorts of fun stuff that get triggered. But for this, realistically, it's just the income thing. But I don't tax planning. I don't know why somebody would do that. I just be honest. Like you're going to have a like. Let's just say that your tax rate was twenty percent. So now you're going to have eighty percent of the assets to generate income. You're going to have a twenty percent makeup. And you're thinking that my taxes are going to be so bad. I'm taking four percent out over the over my life. Right. It's probably going to be about 4% a year that I'm going to have to recognize as income. The average tax rate drops when people get over 65, like significantly. So I'm always shocked that people are doing these conversions in their 60s. They're probably making good money. It's like, stop it. Highest earning years. Yeah. Uh, Unless you have like a really compelling reason, like I have a private investment that's just going to go bonkers. And I I think I'm going to be the PayPal guy and I'm going to make millions of dollars. And investors are, you know, a little bit of a different breed outside of the the, the norm of people too. So, you know, that's something, uh, tax planning and looking at the big picture. Yeah. All right. Here's a good one. Are there any strategies to mitigate capital gain tax on the sale of vacation home? Our vacation home is in another state and it's solely for personal use and never rented out. We've owned it for 10 years. Do we have to make it our primary residence for two years before we can sell it and get the capital gain exemption? I'm glad they haven't rented it out if you're looking at this one. You know, if you're going to move back in and all of a sudden you rent it out, now you got the uh, fractional ownership and fractional tax. My point. What would you do? What would you tell this person? I'm at a loss here. You know, do they, uh, 
it, 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 and I think we look at it tax-wise or we can look at it from a practical aspect. What do they want to do in their life? Do they want to live there? Do they not want to live there? I've had clients do things from a tax motivation standpoint mm-hmm. that personally they got into it. And then before they actually were able to realize any tax savings, they decided it just wasn't for us. So, you know, sometimes I look at things not only from a tax-wise standpoint or a legal standpoint, I look at it from a practical standpoint. I'd look at it and say, what, like, are you worried that you're going to sell it and you're not going to have a capital gain exclusion? If you're worried you have personal property, which you're going to pay capital gains on, there's no exclusion on it unless you live in it as your primary residence two of the last five years. Correct. So what are you going to have to do on a commercial or on a uh, vacation home is you're going to have to live in that as your primary residence for two years prior to selling. To. I mean, it's a vacation okay. home. So, much well, so yeah. that's, that's, that's query number one. Yeah. Query number two is you make it into an investment property and you 1031 exchange it into something else. Same situation. Like if you're going to sell it and you don't want to pay tax on the gain, assume that it's gone up in value. We should figure out what that number is and then say, is it so bad that I don't want to pay the tax on it when I sell it. The last thing I would look is say, like, why are you thinking of selling it? It's a vacation home for 10 years. You just don't want it anymore. You Maybe you want to get a different vacation. Make it into an investment property and borrow against it. Take that cash and go buy something else. With Actually, it. I do like that uh, solution right there. Yeah. And then you can depreciate it at least. Yeah. And when you die, it steps up. So your kids won't pay any tax on it. If, if, if you sell it, if you're if, a great point, great point. Yeah. So I always say that whenever I look at capital assets, the, the best thing to do is just not sell it and borrow against it. So that's number one. If you're going to sell it, let's find an exclusion. The best exclusion for personal property. The only exclusion is if it's your primary residence, you got to live in it two of the last five years. And yes, you can have multiple properties and qualify multiple properties as primary residences, not at the same year, but on different years. So you you might say, hey, I, I don't want to pay tax. I have a $500,000 exemption if I'm married, $250,000 exemption if I'm single, and I really want that exemption. Okay, make it your primary residence for two years and sell it. And make sure you're going to be there for two years. Your life will uh, allow you to be there. Yeah, well, don't sell it. Yeah, borrow against it. Buy something that you want and then make this. I like people dying with their property. Or (laughs) if you said, hey, but this is a really crappy property Uh, for, uh, you know, I I would never be able to rent it. Well, great. Rent it for six months and then 1031 it into something that is a good rental if you don't want to pay the tax. I love it. That's just me. It always depends. Is the juice worth the squeeze? How much tax are we talking about? $10,000 here? Eat it. I love that you're pointing that out because, again, sometimes people, we get caught up in like, oh, this tax savings, tax mobilization, and it's like, is it really that bad? I mean, you made a profit, you know? And you It know, depends on how bad it is. It, it depends on how bad it is. But, yeah, you know. I learned my lesson. You look at it, and you know, somebody was like, oh, I'm going to sell my house, and, and it was a California client. They had a, about a million and a half gain. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh, it's only long-term capital gains. Then there was 11, at that time, it was 11%, 12% on the state side, plus the net investment income tax, plus the capital gains. They were 30-something, like a lot. It was, what was it? It was 34%. So I was looking at it going, that's about a half a million dollars in tax, more than that. And all we had to do is tiny little bit of planning and convert it over. And then we could do a 121, the capital gain exclusion and a, and a 1031. Just that little bit, giving the client, hey, for 500 grand, would you do this? And they were like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Then here's here's what you do step by step. And uh, But if it was $5,000, would you do this? The answer is 
Hell no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll just pay it. Yeah. So it's always trying to figure out whether it's worth it. All right. Enough of the vacation homes. We're in Maui right now. I'm thinking of vacation homes. If I'm not, if I don't behave myself, I want you to get a vacation. You home. should buy one here. No, you know what? Better than we already had one. Better, the best thing about uh, uh, you know having a friend with the vacation home is having a friend with the vacation home. <laughs> yeah, I think you should do. It. You have two kids. Yeah, I don't have any kids anymore. Much rather you have you have one. Uh, I would just think it'd be really good, Michael, for you. To, it's a really good investment. We can get one. I was yeah. walking down the street, and there was some guy saying, "We got these fractional ownerships," and the, <laughs> and he's it, it was free. It, I it could was go free. Did you get like a free buffet with it also? Yeah, that's right. Be careful, of those guys. Please, yeah, please, don't please. Don't uh, it, it's even funnier when we talk about estate plans and uh, who's going to get the uh, share. Uh, <laughs> you can have it. Some people don't want it. Yeah, yeah I don't want to pay for it. All right. Let's All right. Get in, I'm uh, planning to do a cost segregation study. I love them. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love I don't it. know which. There's a camera around here that I could stare at. Right. If I do some cosmetic light remodeling before cost seg, will it generate a bigger benefit or it doesn't matter? Please, Ed C, advise. That's, yeah. Look at this. You definitely get into, uh, there's a, in the platinum area, there is a, uh, a company that would, uh, we've had great success with. I've seen a lot of people lower their tax bill. I've seen a lot of great things coming out of it. Um, for those of you who don't know what a cost seg is, there's mm-hmm. a ton of videos on our site that uh, will go into detail of it. Basically, it's breaking out the property as opposed to the 27 and a half year, breaking it out into looking mm-hmm. at the different types of property inside the property. But uh, it, uh, there's a lot of great companies that do it. One of them's listed inside of our planning resource. Yeah. All right. So cost seg study in, in English for someone that's never heard of it before. When you buy a piece of property, you can't depreciate land. Hmm. Land's not going to go down in Carved value. Out. Hey, look at that. But we know that you can. You, are you going to do like, a Will Smith? I, I, this is this is just perfect timing for what just happened, right? I moved my hand. Like, I'm a visual person. I like to do that. You know, I just saw a I'm hand. Speaking, but all of a I'm sudden, like, it, 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 it actually, here, hold on. Hold on here, let's, let's see how good of an actor. Yeah. So I'm just going to see like Chris Rock. <laughs> get your hands up, brother. That's all I could think of. When he, like, if somebody's coming at me, I'm putting my like cover right now. So here's Michael. I, 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 I didn't I, say anything about it. That's right. I, I, you know, do you and Jeff have as much fun every single uh, tax Tuesday? Cause I'm having a great time. This, this is great. Uh, time. Jeff's fun. Yeah, I love Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, he's a CPA. Tax, tax Tuesday is tax Tuesday. You know, taxes and fun. He has a good time. And great dad jokes too, by the way, right. guys. All right. So cost seg study. Let's talk about this real quick. So when you buy a property, you can't depreciate. You can't take a deduction. Correct. Deduction lowers your tax. You can't take a deduction for land. And the IRS allows you to do something really dumb, which is to treat your structure as though it's 27 and a half years if it's residential or 39 years if it's non-residential. And the reason I say it's dumb is because you have things like carpeting that aren't going to last 27 and a half years. You have fixtures, you have you have cabinets, you have all this stuff, and there's no way it's going to last 27 and a half years or 39 years. But the IRS says you can use an impermissible method and write it off over a longer period of time. You know how many people don't know about this, by the way? And, like and, and, and seasoned real estate investors, too. Yeah. It's shocking. So what a cost seg is, is saying, hey, that carpet's going to last five years. You can write it off over five years. That's all you're doing. Hey, that, that cabinet over there is, is, is seven years. Hey, these light fixtures might be seven years. Hey, the driveway is going to last 15 years. The fence you put in is 15 years. You put in a bunch of trees, they're going to last 15 years. And you're writing it off over a short period of time, which means you're going to have more deduction. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
that's all you have to do is choose. You could do it in year one. You don't have to do anything special. You just do a cost site study. So what they're saying is, hey, I'm going to do some remodeling, some light remodeling. And this is the big word. This light remodeling tells me they may get the deduction anyway. Correct. And what I mean by that is when you better a property, it's like if I fix a roof versus replace the roof. If I replace a roof on a property, that's called betterment, and it's going to be 27 and a half years, unless I do a cost egg, in which case it would still be 27 and a half years or 39 years, right? Because it's part of the structure. But if I fix it, if I have a hole in it and I fix that mm-hmm. roof, I can deduct that repair. There's a safe harbor at $2,500. So if you're doing light cosmetic work, that tells me you're probably going to get to write it off anyway, but it really doesn't matter. The cost seg, even if you did it now and then you did the light cosmetic work, you'd have invoices. You'd be able to you'd be, be able to say, oh, this was for this type of work. I would just stick it in the seven, the five, or the 15-year category. If you did it before and you did the light cosmetic work, you're just going to be allocating it. Amongst it. it yep. And the reason this is important, guys, this is the part that people don't get. If you have property that is 20 years or less under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, you can write off 100% of that in year one yep. or whatever year you decide to make the, the election to, to cost seg. So you could have a massive deduction. It's usually 20 to 30% of the value of the, of the structure that you could write off in one year. Whether that's worth it for you is depending on your circumstances, but for uh, real estate investors, it's a very large deduction if you know what you're doing. So cost segs are worth their weight in gold if you do them right. All right. Yeah. I think we're at the end. Yeah, we we, we, we went a little over. We by uh, thirty minutes. This is you get two attorneys together, and uh, that's, that's not shocking. This has been awesome. I, you know, uh, the, the questions that were presented. Um, I love getting mm-hmm. outside the box. I love you know talking about yeah the tax code, but uh, the practical side and how to mend them two together. With, yeah, and our clients are pretty fantastic. We appreciate uh, everybody on here. You know, if you're not a client, uh, become one. But uh, we appreciate you guys and uh, wish you guys the best of success. Yeah, I will say this, that if you have questions, by all means, email them into Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors. We don't charge to answer the questions, guys. We're just going to give you a response unless it's very specific to you and technical, in which case we may invite you to join Platinum. But in any case, we're not going to do the switcheroo on you and charge you an hourly rate on this stuff. We just... We like getting the questions because that's where we grab uh, for the events. That's where we grab the the questions when we do the Tax Tuesdays. All of those that, that were emailed in today came in in the last couple of weeks. We just grab them, throw them up there, and answer them. But there's probably, at this point, it's about four to 500 a week that come in, and we just answer them. It's just something that we decided to do years ago, and it... Uh, you know, people always say, why do you do that? Why don't you just charge? And I say, because we get rewarded for it. Universe is a strange place. You so. know, we, we got a directive here from Mark. He says, have a great time in Hawaii. I can guarantee we will. But, you know, the cool thing is, is we're out here uh, with Infinity Investing. The way we structure it, it's a, it's a, it's a business trip. It's, you can actually it's see unique. it. Look at yep. that. And, uh, you know, this is kind of the way I describe it is from, you know, about eight or nine until about one or two, depending on how you know, long the presenters go on Thursday. What do we do? We goof learn. Off. And then after that, we're free to, to go about we goof off. Yeah, goof off. I, I like that one. Friday, when we, do we do it? Eight, nine in the morning till about one or two in the afternoon. And then what do we do? Goof off. Goof off. Mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday, we do not have an event, but we do do excursions. Monday and Tuesday, eight or nine in the morning till about one or two. And then we? 
goof off. And then Tuesday, it's, uh, it's a business day. It's, and it's four business hours, day. one but, minute. That's but, all you got to have. You know, one of the cool things is, is that we're here with other like-minded people, people that uh, just aren't normal uh, in normal world. We, you know, we're, we're the ones that are uh, uh, expanding on, uh, you know, making betterment of, uh, you know, working mm-hmm. hard, investing, building our businesses. So yeah. um, if you haven't found out about it, learn about it and uh, Come uh, jo- join us next year. Come to Infinity Investing. It's yeah. free, by the way. We do workshops a couple times a month and the membership, the basic membership is absolutely free too. It's a, it's a club of like-minded people. Patty, if you want to go ahead and uh, post mm-hmm. a link in there, that'd be great. Last thing we're having is last um, thank you to Pio, to Dana, to Matthew, to Kenny, to Elliot, to Michael for joining in and coming in here and, and having to deal with me. I don't know if there's anybody else on. I'm sure Patty and Lisa are rolling around out there too. To anybody that helps uh, do these and answers the questions, thank you. If I'm missing, you get that little point. Troy Butler. Troy, Troy's at a bookie. Is Troy Troy, yeah, Troy's out here. Troy, you're awesome. Uh, okay. We have uh, guys that come out. We, Christos. Oh, Christos. Uh, Christos. Such. Yeah, Such there we go. Ian. Ian. Uh, Ian. Man, we got we got the power hitters on here. I, yeah. I, I, there was a whole crew uh, of CPAs and bookkeepers that come on and answer questions. This is tax season. So these guys are going nuts 24 yeah. 7. I come in on Saturdays all the time to teach events, and I'm like shocked how many people are there. They really do work their katushas off to help our clients and help you guys out. And I really appreciate that. We don't say it enough, but thanks, guys. And it's who they are. I mean, just just, just awesome people. I mean, I, you can tell, right, since I saw the list uh, coming in here, it brought a smile on my face. Appreciate all you guys and everything you guys do for us and our clients. Yeah, they're good. For, they're, yeah. they're good. Uh, perfect. And then just reach out. Anytime you guys have yeah. questions, just reach out. We'll try to make sure we get back to you as quickly as possible and give you some right direction. The end of the day, all we care about is that uh, as a group, we do very, very well. We're yep. really, really lucky. And we like to share that and get you guys pointed in the right direction because there's so much bad information out there. We like to spread out some tax wisdom to the masses to help make sure that you guys don't get spun around or have any more anxiety than you need to have on taxes. That is it. So let's go uh, get out on the beach, Mike. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I wore my speedo. Thanks, I'd show you guys. But... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in a speedo. That's right. That's right. You know, that's the Zoom call. Anyway, hey, appreciate everyone out there. Thanks a lot for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.